So there is a, a scourge plaguing modern humanity. It devours our time and strips us of our productivity. It leaves us mindless zombies. I am, of course, talking about the plague of binge-watching television. <laughs> Actually, I quite appreciate this new ability we have for watching streaming television. Watching uh, shows in this way is the preferred way that my family actually watches TV. It is, it's not always easy to find a show that has just the right alchemy that will appeal to the 17-year-old while also being appropriate to the 10-year-old and will fit the 14-year-old somewhere in the middle there while also drawing my wife and I in for you know, some communal TV watching. So when we find that show, we run with it. And if it has 100 episodes available to us with the touch of a button, then all the better. But of course, it is, it's easy to overdo it, isn't it? And while this doesn't always or generally happen with my whole family, it is something that can and does happen to me personally. It's not unusual for me to, to put on a show close to bedtime with the intention of watching just one episode. But then, of course, when that episode is over and the show was good and usually there's some sort of a cliffhanger, it's far too easy for me to decide that perhaps one more couldn't hurt. After all, I just need to know what's going to happen next, don't I? And then, of course, the second episode is over, and then the question, the same question, inevitably arises, why not just one more? And since I'm already up past my bedtime, why not a third or a fourth? And on and on. Hopefully not too much more on. And if the show is good, it's amazing to me just how easily it is for me to, to rationalize the lack of sleep in the name of entertainment. I know that I should go to bed, but I just can't turn off the show until the wee, wee hours of the night. And then, of course, it's time to pay when morning comes and I have to get up. And don't you know, St. Paul's words become my words. Wretched man that I am, who will rescue me from the body of death? Okay, maybe a little overblown, but... So binge-watching of television came to me, came to my mind when I was sitting with this morning's lesson from Paul's letter to the Romans. Now, overdoing TV is a, is a pretty benign example of the, the dynamic that Paul describes, but the dynamic is, is one that is pretty common and is often much more destructive than a, than a little lack of sleep. Paul begins his lesson by offering befuddlement. I do not understand my own actions, he says. Why is it that we know what is best for us, that we know what is good, that we know what is moral and appropriate, but then, with all that knowledge in hand, we do the opposite. 
We have knowledge of how we are supposed to behave, and Paul even reminds us that we have been given the law as a gift from God. But that knowledge itself is not enough. It's not enough to cause us to behave as we know that we ought. Paul says, I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Time and again, this is the human predicament. We know how we want to behave. We know what the better angels of our nature would have us do. We know what, how, exactly how we'd like to treat ourselves or our family and friends or the stranger. And yet time and again, we find that we, we fail to live as we want to live. We know that our pride will undo us or our self-righteousness or our anger, or our fear. We know how destructive those forces are in our lives. We know how destructive they can be, and yet time and again, we discover ourselves caught up in the power of these forces. Paul has this vision of the life of the human being as a, as a sort of battlefield where rival forces struggle for control over the over our lives. On the one hand, there is all that is good and right. It is the way of God, the the source of all goodness and life. And on the other hand, is all that is evil. It is, to use his language, the way of sin and death. It is the way that that will cut us off from God. And to Paul's way of describing it, human beings are captive to these forces. To Paul, we have to serve someone. And so we either serve God or we serve the power of sin, which is to say that power of alienation from God. But as Paul realizes, it's not, it's not enough just to know how we are supposed to behave. It's not enough to know that we are to serve God and reject sin. That knowledge is important, but it's not enough. If it was that simple, then we would simply do it. We would simply will to do what is right, and then we would do it. But often we discover that is impossible. We do what we hate. And if we left it right there, if we left it in that space of powerlessness, then human life would be nothing but tragic. It would only be a story of brokenness and alienation. But of course, the gospel is such that we are not left right there. We are not left in the brokenness and in the alienation, for we are given Jesus Christ. And to Paul's way of describing it, we are made one with Christ in baptism. In baptism, we share in Christ's death, and thus we die to sin and are then given new life in Christ's risen life. And this new life is freedom. It is freedom from the power of sin and death. It is freedom to live in accord with our better nature. It is freedom to love as we ought. In Christ, we are given this new life. Now, as I I say this, 
I imagine that there's some wheels turning behind uh, your eyes there because you recognize, as I do, that it's not that simple. We all know that our lives are not instantly fixed by merely being baptized, nor are they instantly fixed by merely following Jesus on the way. Our lives continue to be muddled. We continue to do some of the things that we would rather not do. But Paul knew this too. His letters in the New Testament are written to communities of people who are often struggling with how to live as followers of Jesus. And Paul was a realist. He he wasn't living in denial. But Paul speaks in this way, in this stark way, in this way of dichotomies, in order to lay bare the dynamics of our lives as human beings. And in doing so, he's pointing to an ultimate reality. In assuming our nature in Christ, God restores us to full relationship with God. We are made God's children as God makes human brokenness and alienation God's own. God reaches across the gap to take our hand and to pull us over. And our task, in the meantime, is to live into this restored relation with God by God's grace. Paul points to this reality that has already begun in our lives as human beings in Christ, but has also, as of yet, not been fully realized. And so in our lives, As Christians, we find ourselves in an in-between time, between this, this already of Christ having come to give us new life and the not yet of the old life of being held captive. And in this sense, we are always on the way. We're always on a journey. As such, By God's grace, we can learn to live more and more in a life transformed by Christ. By God's grace, active in our lives, we can begin and continue to turn toward God and God's ways. We can live lives of continued conversion, of of turning again and again toward God to discover the true meaning of our lives we who are often buried underneath the weight of the heavy burdens of our own self-centeredness, our own self-righteousness, our own anger, our own fear, we can discover underneath that burden the freedom that comes with following and learning from Jesus Christ, freed from that burden. Our true joy and happiness can be found by taking on the gentle and humble yoke of Christ. Our meaning and purpose of living lives of loving God and loving our neighbor as ourselves can be discovered as we learn to live from the heart of Christ, as our heart beats in accord and learns to beat in accord with the gentle and humble heart of Christ. 
Amen.